god. Uh, Jason. Woo! Jason, you, you, you good, buddy? Woo! Look, um... Oh, for this uh, intro, I... I thought I'd... You know, do the... Do the thing where where you... Method acting, right? Woo! Last week, man. We watched that loneliness of the longest is runner. And I thought, you know, I should go, you know, run. And man, I am not a person that should run. Well, oh God, Jason. I mean, I, I appreciate. I don't know why you had <sighs> Dustin Hoffman marathon man this show. Oh God, no. I mean, yeah, I could have pretended, but fuck. Ooh, I wanted to run from my house to your house, and normally yeah. that's like an eight-kilometer run, and I made it like. Ooh, I made it like 280 meters. Jason, you. You uh, left your house 10 minutes ago. Yeah, I made it 280 meters down the road, and then I collapsed. Oh, okay. And I called a cab. And I just get in the house because I climbed your stairs, and this is from the stairs. Oh, why do you live so high? Ooh. I mean, we got high Ooh. after. Is that, is that helping? That, no, no, it didn't help at all. Jason, there's sweat everywhere. Uh, it's coming on my head. Hold on, hold on. Okay. So, so okay. Now that you, now that you're now that you calm down a bit, um, who's our guest? To open the show. Hello, I'm Tom Courtney. Oh. You're gonna see a movie this week that I wasn't in. It's called uh, It's called The Crest File. Ooh. Take it away, fellas. Okay, well, we're going to uh, we're gonna take a breather, and we'll be right back while Jason does a complete recovery video game style. Jason, how are you, buddy? I'm feeling better. Okay. That beer helps? All right, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Well, I was, think we can do this. Now. I mean, I think we can file that under the uh, uh, noble attempts to do something different. Um, but, you know. Uh, you know sometimes we got to pull back the curtain, and sometimes a man's lungs just explode. <laughs> so, sometimes, just as often as when we pull back the yeah. curtain. Um, often it leads to the lung explosion. So, I mean, you know, this is a podcast. It remains one and continues to be. Uh, this podcast is called For Screen and Contra A British Film Podcast About British Film Experiences On The New Earth that's a little improv game, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> ah, that's great. That's great. Now, next thing we're going to need from the audience is a place and a profession. So, going up to you guys. Um, I think I heard. I think I heard Alaska. Okay. No one said that. No, I heard Alaska. I heard Alaska. Thank you, Jason. And uh, I heard uh, uh, shoe polish salesman. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, and can we get a political figure, Sarah Palin? Thank Sarah, you. All right. All right. <laughs> 
Uh, yes, I am Brendan. And I'm Jason. And this is a podcast we already said, but what's said called, what it's called? It's called For Screen and Country. Yes. Yes. Um, and what we do on this podcast is we talk about the top 100 British films of all time, all British time. All of the British times. According to the BFI Top 100. A panel of August experts that I am sure are all exclusively white men with mustaches. And they all meet in August, which yep. makes it even more funny. <laughs> it's an August, August meeting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they, they determined without... Any sort of uh, flaw. Oh, and by the way, they also do it while a screening of August Osage County is playing in the background. And while reading the biography of Augustus Caesar. Right. And watching a video featuring Mark Zuckerberg, who likes Romans a lot. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Anyway, what were you going to say? That was probably more important than what I said. So what we do is we talk about these movies. We've talked about most of them so far, but well, we're not done yet. I mean, most is, most is a stretch. I think we're at about 67. I mean, that's literally most. Okay, shut up. <laughs> we are two-thirds of the way past that's two-thirds right. of the way through. You know what? Whatever. Fuck off. The math um, is clear. We, are, we have less ahead of us than we have behind us. Most to me just sounds like we're at like 90. But that's not what most means. Most doesn't mean my 90%, does it, Brendan? Babe. Moist. Ooh. Uh, but yes, you're right. We're over two-thirds of the way through this list. And we do talk about a different movie on this list every week, except when we decide not to and do other shit. Yeah, because sometimes, guys, we like to mix it up. We like to mix it up. We like to hang out. We like to whip our dicks out. We like to touch each other uh, seductively and air it on TBS. But not this week, Brendan. This no. week, we are doing what we do. We are professionals and we are locked in because we have a film to talk about this week that is on the British Film 100 list. That's not what it's called. <laughs> but it's close to that. It's close enough. We do. And before we talk about this week's film, we need to read some comments, answer some questions, maybe give a little medical advice. Maybe um, air some concerns on the be- on uh, behalf of our listeners. Yeah. Disclaimer. Also, don't take our medical advice. <laughs> um, but we got to, you know, we got to read some stuff from our listeners listeners about last week's film the loneliness of the long distance runner but you know who's not lonely men brendan that's Who? us we're not lonely men we're not lonely men because we have so many comments about this movie we do a lot more than expected people have yes. seen this film yeah well i'm gonna start off it's uh, uh another another previous uh offender uh comment wise wickham clayton and mr clayton says i watched it for the first time this past summer I've been going through a lot of these BFI films lately and was expecting another one of the very samey 60s British New Wave movies, but this one hit home. It's really striking and stark with some nice subtle undertones of commentary on Britishness, which are predictably inconclusive. One of my favorite watches of the last year. Yes, thank you, Wickham. Um, Glowing review for this film. Uh, And again, this is one that I expected not a big response from because I did, I'd like, I mean, I'm not saying this is the, (laughs) this is the, um, you know, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. This is not the standard, but uh, I had never even heard of this movie. No, like at me all. Neither. Certainly not. No, I've never, never heard tell of this movie. Never heard it ever referred to. Barely knew anybody in it. In fact, the only reason I knew anybody in it was because we watched Doctor Zhivago. Oh yeah, because I didn't know who Tom Courtney was either. I had no idea. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I knew maybe who Michael Redgrave was. Barely. Maybe if I saw him in a, on the street, I'd be like, that guy looks like somebody I might have seen in a British movie once. Uh, I feel like Jason, if you saw um, Michael Red, someone that maybe Michael Redgrave walking around, you'd have other questions before wondering if it was Michael Redgrave because he'd be a no, corpse exactly. just being dragged around. Exactly, and my question would be, 
have they have they finally done it? Have they finally gone whole hog and remade Weekend at Bernie's with an actual corpse? Twenty twenty. I think. Oh, solid idea. 2020, well, 2021, whenever. If we have to go back in time to get it made, let's get it made. David Lynch, let's do this. I mean, is Terry Kaff still alive? Uh, Terry Kaiser, you mean? Terry Kaiser? <laughs> Terry yeah, Kaff, Terry... I think, is from Chicago. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> he, not sure. He is not alive, I assure you. Well, there you go. I don't think Terry Kaiser is actually still alive, but I could be wrong. Um, then if he's okay. not, maybe, maybe, maybe we have something right there. If he's not alive, he's perfect. Shit. <laughs> The, it's the update. It's the only reboot I want. Yeah, I mean, but to be fair though, like, and and, and kids love zombies, right? So if he's like decaying yeah. and falling apart and you know looks pretty rough, I mean, that's what they expect because yeah. of the Walking Dead's and the Zombie Lands and the 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 Days Dead. Yeah, Jason, you really got your uh, finger on the pulse of uh, society there. The zombie <laughs> craze is definitely starting up again. <laughs> kids love zombies, but you know what else they're gonna like? And I'm gonna predict this right now. I'm saying it. Vampires. That's the next wave. Wow. Vampires, the next wave. Catch it at your local cinema or online. <laughs> okay, so our next comment, yeah. Our next comment comes from BS. And, uh, Wait, what? Yeah, you got it. And she said, he or she or they uh, hmm. say, I'm pretty sure I saw this and loved it years ago. I bet the Iron Maiden connection made me rent it. Of course, that song that we played that had dialogue from the film. Oh, interesting. That's a a tenuous connection to see a movie, but I respect it. <laughs> I guess it, I guess it'd be like if I, I watched that movie Black Sabbath that the band Earth stole the title from to yeah. make their new name Black Sabbath. I, I think it's it's sort of like when I when I was a, a younger wrestling fan, I was like, ready to rumble with wrestlers in it? Hell yeah, that's gonna be the best movie ever. Spoiler alert. It was. But at least it was mostly about wrestling. I mean, yeah, and poop. Now, uh, uh, just while we're here, quick, quick, either or, which which is better? Ready to rumble? No holds barred. Which is now? What do you mean by better? Uh, which would you rather watch? Oh, pro- ready to rumble. Okay, all right. I've got Fair this enough. weird connection to it because I, I suppose you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, no holds barred. I think is more boring to me for some reason. Mm. I, maybe because I didn't see it when I was a kid, so I don't have any strong like. Oh, this is bad, but I love it as a kid connection. And also, uh, Ready to or No Holds Barred strikes me as a movie that's dumb, but Ready yeah. to Rumble is a movie that's fucking stupid. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, you probably have a point there. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of poop and pee jokes in Ready to Rumble. And actually, there's a good poop joke in No Holds Barred when Hulk Hogan uh, uh, asks some guy, what's that smell? And he says, dookie. <laughs> so it, it, it's stiff competition what do you got what, what's their next comment oh the loneliness of the long distance runner right that's the movie we were talking about uh wh- what i have to assume is is uh, uh longtime tobacco magnate sc williams holtz holt okay. writes one of my favorite see what i did there because he used a u in favorite british films Rarely do films about teens capture the true conflict between doing what's expected of you versus making your own way. Courtney is unflinching in his portrayal of Colin. Great example of British new wave. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah more... I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that take. It, uh, I don't know if it's one of my favorite movies, but it is a cool movie. More praise for this film. Adam Jurez says, watch this recently. 
and it is by far my favorite kitchen sink drama I have seen. The story is great, it is well told, and Tom Courtney is just fantastic in every step of the way. One of the few BFI Top 100 films I hadn't even heard of until recently, and it is probably my favorite. And, and that, for for me, I guess that, and maybe for you too, Jason, not, not necessarily our top favorite, but for us, that kind of happened when we watched The Servant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, is a movie you and I had no, no knowledge of whatsoever, no and no. it came away, and we were both, I think, very impressed with it. And while I, I wouldn't say that Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner struck me in quite the same quite the same level as The Servant, it's still, yes, definitely not, not what I expected it to be. Oh, yeah, uh, the, no, that's what I mean. I just think Adam's reaction to this is like our mm. reaction to The Servant. Thanks, oh, Mr. J! And I didn't say thank you to SC. Thank you, oh, SC. Oh, well, thank him. Absolutely. Uh, uh, our next our next comment, Brennan, is from Sherry Martell. I mean Sherry Martin. Uh, also, also gunning, week. also gunning for the remake of Weekend at Bernie's. Well, no, she's going to be the love interest. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Bernie gets a girlfriend in Weekend at Bernie's three. Obviously, oh, then they man. get to look around two corpses. <laughs> oh, 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 and then and then we add this in too that that we, we bring back Jonathan Silverman and Andrew McCarthy, but they're both like middle aged jacked. Like yeah. they both got divorces and they started eating good and they started running and going to the gym and they're both like three hundred pounds of solid muscle, mm-hmm. and they can each carry one of these desiccated corpses around and pretend that they're you know a loving couple. And then and then um, by the end of the film, we find out that Dennis Farina is the villain. Oh, <gasps> Brendan, and his plan. The reason he became a villain is because he's so annoyed that he didn't get put in that Oscar tribute video at the beginning of the Oscars, the year he died. And that's his whole and, and that's one of those movies where you'll watch and you'll be like, you know what? I'm kind of on your side. <laughs> I was a goddamn shame. They should have had a clip from him saying something obscene from from Snatch in that uh, in that clip show. Even if they just bleeped the whole thing, I've just shown a picture of him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. What is uh, what so, does Sherry, Sherry uh, Martin? Sorry, Sherry, I forgot about you there for a sec. Sherry uh, writes, "I saw this in college, part of the British angry young man cycle. It's reflective of the time period, the post-war years that were very lean in Britain, and a generation that grew up with diminished hopes, as opposed to the baby boom generation here in the U.S. Yeah, absolutely, a whole different attitude. You know, young people that, that themselves have been traumatized by war and, and shortages and rationing, and and seeing their their fathers and uncles, you know, not come home from Europe." compared to the United States, where certainly that, that happened with fathers and sons and stuff, but like there was a much more uh, uh, positive outlook because everybody was making money. And there mm-hmm. was that, it was called the baby boom, not just because it was a lot of babies, but it was a boom. It was an economic boom. Everybody was making money and buying homes and stuff. And that's a different, a whole different set of uh, circumstances to grow up. So I see, I see what uh, the point she's making. And because of all that, Jason, we are now living large and in charge. That's right. That's right. Thank you, rest of the world, for propping us up. <laughs> Reaganomics, baby. Trickle down. One of these days it's gonna trickle down, folks. Don't you don't you worry. It's don't coming. Don't you worry. Uh, Logan Sessions says, I watched this movie several years ago and thought it would be a perfect double feature with Robert Redford's film Downhill Racer. In the end of uh, Loneliness, he has the ability to win and chooses a, a nephew to his overseers. In Downhill, Redford thinks he is the best in the world and there's no conceivable way of losing, except there is always the unknown of a dark horse that has been training harder than him that could come out of nowhere to beat him. Well, now I really want to see Downhill Racer. Yeah, that does sound interesting. It'd be an interesting comparison point for this one. I like Robert Redford. I mean, not, not even necessarily for the podcast. I just kind of want to see it now. 
Final comment, Brendan, is from... Final comment, Brendan! It's from one Aaron Roller, who you may know from the song Roller by April Wine. I think that's April Wine. Yeah, that's him in the flesh. Uh, And Aaron says, So funny to hear about the metal connection. What led me to this film back in college were the indie rock connections between Loneliness of the Middle Distance Turner by Bella and Sebastian and Tom Courtney by Yo Lang Tango. Hmm. I figured I had to see it. I thought it was pretty good. I like both the songs better than the movie. You okay. sounded like the most like you you sounded like the most middle aged man ever saying Yo Lang Tango. Yo Lang Tango. Wango Tango. Baby. One of those hippity hop bands. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, no, I didn't know about those those song influences, so that's pretty no. cool. Um, I know Bell and Sebastian is beloved by pretentious people. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I've heard Yola Tango before, and I think that's because of uh, the movie Juno. I think that's where I heard about them before. So there you go. Michael Sarah connection. Well, Jason, we, we talked a lot of bullshit um, other than the movie, so we should get right yeah, to it. Um, this movie was number 61 on the BFI Top 100. And of course, we are going to compare it to number 61 on the AFI Top 100, which is <gasps> Sullivan's Travels. Is that like, like, uh, like, uh, is that where the... I'm no, I'm thinking of Gulliver's Travels. Yeah. Hmm. Sullivan's Travels. Have you seen Sullivan? You've seen that. Wait, movie. wait. Sure. Why are you thinking? You clearly have never seen the movie. You're like, hmm, I... does it win by default? <laughs> <laughs> what is that? What What is Sullivan's Travels about, Brendan? It is a film in which a man uh, is is ma- going to make a movie about uh, the lower class and decides mm. to live as a, uh, like a poor person for a while, oh. and then quickly discovers that this actually gives him no insight at all, and that it you know just living there for like a month won't do anything, and it's a it's kind of like a road comedy. So it's like an even whiter version of Black Like Me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so i yeah but i guess by default it has to go to loneliness yeah i mean i've seen sullivan's travels um i enjoy it it's a good movie it's it's got that witty dialogue it's fun having said that though i think i gotta go with loneliness a long distance runner i gotta give it to tom courtney being an angry white man yourself an angry young white man so angry. yeah so i'm always i'm always angry but don't worry jason because like I'm only just not having sex because I want to. That's right. That's right. You decided. You made that choice, and you're strong because of it. I'm a voluntarily celibate. <laughs> a von cell. A von cell. <laughs> that sounds like a... Now, speaking of vampires, that sounds like... <laughs> My name is Vincent. Vincent von cell. And, of course, the most famous von cells, the uh, priest of the Catholic Church, allegedly. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say you might have a might have a case against that. Um, but J- Jason, that's it. We're gonna we're gonna move on. We're gonna talk about this week's film, The Ipcress File. theme song which jason um was listening to and saying and i quote 
I have to buy the soundtrack to this movie. That's not what I said at all. I said I have to download the soundtrack. No, whether you... I buy it or not is determined on whether I have it on services nope. and whether I can find it. You said it. I want to buy it on vinyl. <laughs> I'm going to get myself a record player and I'm going to listen to it um, while I masturbate. That is a quote of what Jason said. Um, and if he tells you anything different, he is Look, a filthy that liar. Was, that was not what I said. That may have been the spirit of what I was saying, but that was not what I said. Look, we'll, we'll, we'll check the tape, okay? Check the tape. Um, we'll get back to that later. But first, <laughs> we're talking about number 59 on the BFI Top 100. We're talking about another Michael Caine movie. And mm. we just talked about the Italian job two episodes yes. ago. And Educated Rita was not that long no, ago. No, no. We've had a, a Caine-essence in, uh, in our stream here. We have. We've had a third. Do we have any Michael Caine left, I guess, is the question. We do have at least one because okay. we haven't talked about Get Carter yet. Right. We have not. Um, but we ha- But this is our third Michael Caine movie in just this section of 20 movies. Because, so, you know, we, we separate them each by 20. And this is our third one in, in like a while. And we've like seen Michael while. Caine in many different. Uh, has he been in any of our. Are, um, and now for something completely similars, I don't I don't recall offhand. I don't think so. No, because he didn't show up for Zulu Dawn, right? And he didn't show up in Alfie either. <laughs> no, that's a movie he could have made a cameo. I mean, I'm, I, how, I mean, he literally must have been like, no, this is a fucking stupid idea. <laughs> well, he he made a photograph cameo in, in the remake of Alfie. That's right. Yes, we see a photograph for sure. Um, but speaking of photographs. But not really. We're talking about this week's movie, The Ipcrest File, mm. um, starring Michael Caine as your lead, Harry Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> let's just all right. Let's just get it out of the way. They they wanted to pick a boring name, but instead they picked a name that sounds like he is a guy that is implied to be an extreme masturbator. Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even catch it until you just mentioned it. And I I I feel like the Harry Palm trope has been around for a very long time, and longer certainly than than the Ipcrest files have existed. Perhaps it was not as popular in England, but <laughs> doesn't it sound like it could be also like a Harry Potter porn parody? Yeah, exactly. Harry oh, Palmer, oh, Harry, Paul, Harry Palmer, and the sorcerer's bot plug, guy. <laughs> sorcerer's apprentice. Uh, but yeah, Michael Michael Caine, yeah. also Michael Cole. Michael Caine plays Harry Palmer. <laughs> God, no, not Michael Cole playing Harry Palmer. Fuck. Uh, we have Guy Dolman playing Colonel Ross, mm. his uh, his superior. Certainly in the running for most British in this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have Nigel Green uh, playing Major Dalby. Also his, a strong contender for most British. <laughs> there's a lot of British on this movie. <laughs> yeah. His new boss. Um, we have Sue Lloyd playing Jean Courtney. It was nice to see like a decent female role in this yeah, movie. Yeah, you know, it's not huge, but it's it's more than just like the eye candy that they often were at this period. Yeah, somewhat significant. Yeah. Not a, she's not a Bond girl. No. Um, we also have uh, Gordon Jackson playing a guy who turns out to be his friend, one of his uh, one of his coworkers, oh, Jock. Uh, Jock Carswell. Um, we have Aubrey Richards as Doctor Radcliffe. He's the doctor that they're looking for for mm. half of the movie. Yes. Um, and then we have the vil- the villain Frank. Gatliff plays Eric Grantby, codename Blue Jay. Um, and uh, Oliver McGreevy is the other villain, House Martin. <gasps> That's the bald guy. Yes. This now, is directed by Sidney J. Fury. And you might be That's a fucking yourself, great name, first off. It is a good name. Sidney uh, <laughs> J. Sid Fury. Sidney J. Fury Road. Um, he, and if you're wondering, like, if he can follow up, follow this up with some of the classics he would go on to make later. I mean, this is the director of uh, two movies that I noted: Superman Four, The Quest for Peace. Oh, of course. And the classic Rodney Dangerfield film that holds up like fine milk, uh, Ladybugs. Ladybugs. I loved that movie as a child, and would probably find it quite disturbing now. It is problematic. <laughs> <laughs> 
Man, I love that movie though as a kid. Fuck. It is one of those movies where like, you know, you have people that are like, oh, it's not problematic. People are just too uptight. If someone said that about fucking Ladybugs yeah. after watching it, I would question their sanity. Does, does Roddy Dangerfield try to fuck a 12-year-old girl? There is a scene where a, a guy is imagining his future life with a young lady and there are some shots that they chose for the movie, that this, for this fantasy scene, that are an adult male had to shoot these scenes. It's just going to make me upset. Uh, let's just move on. All right. Let's, we're not here to talk about Ladybugs, gen- ladies and gentlemen. We're here to talk about the Ipcrest file. Not this week, but it no. might be a sequel to something else on <laughs> yeah, the list. Yeah, sure. It has a weird connection to uh, to uh, the third man. <laughs> I was thinking carry on up the Kyber. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're talking about the Ipcrest file. Jason, did you know anything about this movie going in? Um, no. Uh, I... Not really. Um, when I Googled it just to kind of check out the cast, I realized I saw the name and I, I knew that Michael Caine had played a, a sort of spy character and I recognized the Harry Palmer name. But And then, of course, then I looked and saw, oh, right, there's like five other movies and whatever else. But uh, no, I didn't know much about it. The only connection I knew was that Michael Caine's uh, choice of glasses in this movie directly inspires Kingsman. And also Michael oh. Caine is in Kingsman, I believe. Uh Yes, he is. Yeah. Yes, he's in the first one, which is uh, clearly a straight reference to this particular role. But what is interesting to me, Brendan, is that that while we've we've already talked about two James Bond movies, mm-hmm. and James Bond is such an iconic English character, yet this movie, after watching it, it is clearly just as influential in a lot of spy media um, uh, as James Bond, but not nearly as well known. Right. Um... And I mean, maybe that's the argument for it being, for as, as far as the BFI is concerned, for being not as high up on the list as like mm. Dr. No or something. Yeah, certainly still, not, not as commercially maybe successful. Yeah, but still like 59 is nothing to sneeze at. No. Um, but yeah, this movie, uh, yeah, like you said, I got James Bond. I mean, clearly it is inspired in some way by James Bond a little bit. Well, let's, let's get the connection no, out of the way Dr. right up at the front here. Well, Dr. No was 1962. Yeah. That's the first one, right? Yeah. And then this movie comes out in 65. Yeah. So, I mean, there has to be a something there. Yeah, well, but also this movie was produced by Harry Saltzman, who was one of the co-producers of the James Bond movie. Yep, and he deliberately went about, by the way, to make this an anti-James Bond movie. Yeah, and that's absolutely what it is. This is definitely the working class James Bond. And it, and it's interesting because it is a more grounded, realistic movie. When we see a James Bond movie... Well, actually, you know what? Let's talk a little bit about what this movie's about, first off. Okay. The Ipcrest File. So The Ipcrest File is about Michael Caine. He is a... Uh, it's about Michael Caine? It's about Michael Caine specifically. But <laughs> okay. he is undercover as an agent named Harry Palmer. He is undercover as a man hunting a shark so for Harry, the fourth time named Jaws. Harry Palmer is a sergeant in the British Army, which shows you this is the working class version of James Bond because James Bond is an officer and a commander in the Royal Navy. Uh, he's a sergeant in the British Army who's in jail for, uh, I, I assume, fucking some Germans out of money via a gambling scheme. I think he does say that. Well, he says he took a lot of money from the Germans. He didn't say how. Cause I mean, she, cause she asks and he says it's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> As any criminal would do. Exactly. But yeah, so he's a bit of a rogue and he's hauled out of the, out of the, uh, the clink to uh, help with this mission that they're on. They lost a, an operative and they need to find a, a scientist that has disappeared. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's... Which, by the way, so far, yeah, that could be a Bond plot. Yes, that absolutely. feels very much like a Bond plot. Like, there's a scientist missing, and there's also the mystery of like 16 of the top scientists in uh, England um, suddenly quit at the top of their profession. Yeah, and uh, and there's no explanation. There's been a bunch of scientists that quit, but most of them had the explanation of they found a better job in the private sector, which is yeah. absolutely what happens all the time to government employees. But there, there are a bunch that they can't explain. 
Yeah, but these ones they cannot explain for any rational reason, and then this one disappears. And we see this at the very beginning of the movie when a, uh, an agent brings him, uh, he, he puts he gets him on a train, and then he goes to bring him his ca- uh, camera or something, and yeah. then he comes back, and the guy's gone, and there's another guy in his place. Our uh, what was the guy's name? Uh, um, something uh, Mandrake Raven or something. Yeah, Mandrake Raven, House Martin. House Martin, that's yeah. it. The bald henchman guy yeah. who has taken his place, and then. Some, so, so wait, so that's, yeah. Oh, so, so we have a scene that doesn't make a whole lot of sense where he, where it's clear that he kills the guy. We, it's off screen. Mm-hmm. So it's like we pan out and then, yeah, whatever. And the train starts to move. And then when the train leaves, we see the body stuffed into a fucking luggage rack on the side of the train. It's like, how the fuck did he kill the guy and get his corpse all the way back and stuffed in there before that train took off in like 15 seconds? I wondered that too. And actually for the first like 20 minutes, I thought the doctor was, I thought yeah, that was the yeah, doctor. Yeah, that was my, my confusion. Yeah. So, so if we remade this movie today, we'd make that a little more clear and maybe make it a little more sensical. Yeah. But don't let that dissuade you from what we're going to talk about. Which, by the way, this, again, not to beat a dead horse, uh, which I would never do. No, um, certainly not. But this opening is much like a James Bond movie cold open as well. It's yeah. You see a crime. It's not necessarily with Bond. Yeah. Because he's not in all the openings, I don't think. But you see... It's a good a, question. I don't know. I, I can't I remember. Think, I think there are some, or at least some that he's like barely in. Mm. But, I mean, you see a crime being committed uh, just to set up the whole movie. And then, boom, we go to the credits. And that's what happens here. We don't yeah. get a Bond theme, I guess, but, you know. Yeah, and so Michael Caine, yeah, he's brought into this job by Ross. Was it Ross? Captain Ross? Mm-hmm. Who, uh, as I said, is extremely British. Um, great voice, this actor. Wonderful voice. Uh, and so he's being sent in to help figure out what's going on, pound the pavement, and they get a lead that uh, this Harry Grantby is involved. Eric. Eric Grantby. Is it Eric Grampy? Yeah, he doesn't have the same first name as Michael I wish Kane's everybody character. in the movie had the name Harry, I guess yeah. is what I'm thinking. It'd be, it'd be weird and confusing. Harry yeah. did it. What about Harry? I have a doctor Harry. Should I tell him about Harry? So, Michael Caine's character, of course, he's not your typical agent. He doesn't like the rules. You know, he's a, he's a, he's insubordinate. And at one point, he's told that he has to fill out a form for each individual person he contacts. And he's like, that may be how he does it. But it's not how I do it. Can we actually just listen to that scene real quick? All right, it's we can. the because um, I want to just and I want to just play this number one as an example of like what you were saying yeah. uh, to show the scene, and also like just as an example of what you hear in this kind of movie because this is what separates it from James Bond in my opinion. This is the big thing. This will be your desk, Mister Palmer. Don't smoke a pipe, do you? No. Mr. Taylor was scared of cancer. Combine clearing house reports, your equipment requisitions, expense allowance indent, motor pool shit, yours is a blue zodiac, logbook, insurance, civilian driving license, and form L101. What is Form L101? Field report. You've got to make one out after every job. Makes Dolby happy, if nothing else. You mean, I've got to ask about Grant being 19 different places and then make out 19 lots of silly answers? Aye, that's about it, laddie. You'll soon find out this job's nearly all legwork. 
So yeah, and then right after that, he of course says, you know, that's not me. That's not so, what I'm going to do. He may do things that way, but I doubt. But that's right there. That's you don't see scenes with James Bond filling out forms. No, you no. know what I mean. And and that's that's something about this movie is that yes, it is a much more grounded version. This movie strikes me as closer to what this type of like agent, you know, working for the army or whatever, would actually be doing, like mm-hmm. pounding the pavement. Running operations like most of this. In fact, I think all of this movie takes place in London. Uh, spoiler alert! Uh, <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> Jason, you ruined it. And I say that because later in the movie, he believes he's in an Albanian prison. Yes. Okay, that makes but sense. But it turns out he's actually still in London. I was wondering why yeah. you were giving that as a spoiler alert. <laughs> like, well, I mean, these movies that we're talking about tend to be of a certain country. But yeah, this this does have a little bit of international intrigue, but it's much smaller scale. It's very focused on London. They don't do any traveling to you know many places around the world. And Harry's not going to fancy parties and dressing up. He's, you know, finding people and trying to arrange an exchange. So he's after Grantby. He finds Grantby at a library and he follows him in and he sits down with them and he makes a proposal, you know, that they have a piece of, quote, scientific equipment mm. that he wants and that they'd be willing to deal. And he gives him a phone number and tells him to call him after six. And he walks outside and immediately goes into the phone booth and tries the number and it doesn't work. So he's like, that guy fucked me. Well, and that's another thing in this movie is that, I mean, he he winds up a lot in a lot of dead ends. Mm. He messes up a lot. Yeah. Um, but it makes, but it, it's <laughs> and he once uses some authority that he doesn't have to get a whole fucking team of people to a warehouse. It turns up empty to do a raid, right? Yeah. And then, and then it turns out, um, it yeah, it turns out there's nothing in it. I mean, there's a little bit that he kind of follows up on later, but yeah. um. Really, there's nothing there. He expects the doctor to well, be there. Is, though, isn't that where they actually find the, the Ipcress, yeah. the first designation of Ipcress on a, a piece of film that's stuck into a drain or something? That Yeah, I mean, that's the little thing that he finds. But, I mean, ultimately, what they're looking for is not there. They don't yeah. find the doctor or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, yeah. I, I was also going to say, I wanted to point out that scene. So he, he, he calls that number and it doesn't work. And then he, so he sees them leaving. Uh, Grantby and uh, the henchman and he goes uh, after them and he gets into a fight with the henchman and it's shot in such a weird way like yeah. you, you, when you think of a James Bond movie like especially those early 60s ones like it's pretty clear there's a fight going on like we have you know shots of it happening and whatever in later James Bond movies especially it gets a lot faster and there's more cuts and stuff and choreographed by the time, yeah and by the time we're in like the Daniel Craig era it's like a Christopher Nolan movie like you're just boom 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 yeah and every and I think all of those styles have their place but this is again this being a lower key movie it's it's like a long shot it's like in the distance we see this happening like we're like almost spying from the uh from the phone booth itself (laughs) just watching it play out as he like knocks the guy down and then goes after him and then the guy grabs him and then he like knocks him down again yeah no it's it's like um i don't remember what movie it was that we talked about um recently that had the same idea but it's the fight is very sloppy yeah exactly but it it seems real it seems exactly how a fight would go like yeah two guys wrestling around and knocking each other down it's not like a it's not like a choreographic which again Everything has its place. Yes. In the Daniel Craig movies, they're very modern. Yeah. No, we're, we're not. We're not shitting on great choreographed fights. I tell you, no. I love a great choreographed fight. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. The raid. Yeah, that's what it's all great. that fucking movie is. Yeah. Also, watch that one where that dude's in prison and he like rips out people's lungs and shit. It's great. I forgot what it's called, but you should look it up. Is it Man? Uh, not Manson. Uh, Bronson. No, it's a Japanese movie. Have you seen Bronson with uh, Tom Hardy? No. You should watch it. It's real good. Is it about Charles Bronson? Uh, no, it's about a guy named Charles Bronson who's not Charles Bronson. He's a British criminal who calls himself Charles Bronson. I'm already confused. I can't watch it. <laughs> Speaking of... Oh, sorry. Just quick quick, quick side note. Before yeah. I came here today... 10 watched, to Midnight recommended. Is that I what you're watched, No, I watched a trailer for a movie called Nobody. 
Have you heard of this? Have you seen this? No. So this, <laughs> it looks like Death Wish, but it stars Bob Odenkirk, and it's not a comedy. Oh, yes, I heard about this. And it looks great. Yeah. Uh, Bob Odenkirk, actually. I love star. Bob Odenkirk, and I love, I just, I love the idea that in 2020, Bob Odenkirk is starring in a fucking, like, Death Wish-style, Taken-esque action movie. Listen, we've been waiting for, like, five years for the last season of Better Call Saul. He's got to do something. <laughs> That's right. He's busy doing this. He had to train for two years, apparently. Oh, but I believe it. I'm ready. <laughs> Anyways, what what movie were we talking about? Uh, I believe we were talking about uh, How the West Was... No, oh. uh, The Ipcrest File. Oh, okay. That's not nearly as widescreen. <laughs> not not close. Not even Speaking close. of the screen. Yes. This movie, in a way that Battlefield Earth doesn't... <laughs> what? Hold on. <laughs> Before you get any further, how the fuck did this come up? Stay with me. Okay, okay, okay. In a way that Battlefield Earth never was able to, this movie uses Dutch angles very effectively. Yes. Uh, it, it adds some unease to the movie. I, spe- I especially like it early on when he first goes to like the kind of the debriefing where all the agents are sitting in the room together. And it's clear he feels out of place. And mm. those Dutch angles really help to like heighten that sense of, of like just kind of confusion and, and, and anxiety yeah. that I was feeling while watching that scene. It, it went deep. It went deep, Brendan. But yeah, throughout the movie, like the making some interesting choices and not just having these like standard two shot kind of, you know, yeah. types of stuff. It was pioneering, really. By but it's way, not overused, unlike Battlefield Earth. <laughs> all that, and that's single. the only problem with that movie. That's, oh, that's was it. the Dutch angles. The acting is beautiful. Um, <laughs> Perfect. I think in this movie, too, Jason, I think it'd be so easy for this to be boring. Yeah. That's the thing. I was, I was thinking this the whole time yeah. watching this movie. I'm like, if you made one misstep, one little tiny yes. misstep, this could be a slog. No, absolutely. And and again, I think back to something like the Dambusters, which we talked about and about how kind of like boring it is up front. And this movie definitely had the potential to be that because ultimately this movie is about trying to find a guy and then trying to figure out what a piece of film means. Like it's, it could easily be a very long procedural, like not yeah. a lot going on. And yet it moves along at a very steady pace. I wouldn't say this is the fastest paced movie ever made, but it moves along at the right pace the right pace the correct yeah. pace for the movie exactly um i mean i've seen bond movies that i was bored of shit at, yeah. at and they're filled with action so i mean it doesn't necessarily mean just because it's this yeah but i i did the whole time i'm watching this i'm like man i'm liking this but one little misstep mm. and it's gonna it's gonna make a right turn at boring and down. it doesn't no. it really doesn't it kind of it keeps everything going it's interesting and then it gets a little bit out there at the end with this whole mind control shit that's going on. This whole like Manchurian candidate kind of hypnotism. It. I mean, but, but it worked for the, I mean, it wasn't as out there as some James Bond stuff, but right. no laser uh, beams in this one. No, Well, no, I don't think so. Not specifically. <laughs> yeah. Um, but definitely waves, <laughs> waves of something. Um, well, we talk about, I, I'm just, I'm kind of blown away about the thing about the, about Kingsman. I never even put that together. Yeah, that no, his, it's clear that that's glasses. And that's the thing is that this movie inspired a lot and watching it, it was, uh, the other thing that hit me was like, Oh, right. Mike Myers likes Michael Caine, obviously, because he was in the third Austin Powers movie. Clearly, Austin Powers was at least as much inspired by Ipcress and, mm-hmm. and the Perry Palmer series as it was by James Bond. Yeah. I mean, Harry has this ironic sense of humor that, that, I mean, not that Austin Powers has like a super like subtle sense of humor or anything, but like that seems closer 
to that idea of an agent than James Bond. James Bond has his, you know, his like whatever. But like Harry's just seems like a funnier guy ultimately who's making more jokes than James Bond. James Bond sounds cool when he makes jokes. Harry just makes jokes and it gets him in trouble. I don't think you can hang out with James Bond. No. I think you can hang out with Harry Potter. It would be hard. It would be hard to like, like not just be there admiring James Bond as a, it's like, wow, look at this guy. He's a fucking badass. But yeah, Harry, you could go have a drink with. Well, let's talk about like the difference between those two then because again, he's a very... He's a James Bond-esque figure. Yeah. Um, but as but, far as we know, James Bond didn't do time in prison before uh, no, the movies. No, I mean, like, you you sent me a text uh, when you had finished watching it. You said mm. it's a working-class James Bond. Yeah. Um, but we even start the movie off, just the just the opening theme while we're watching the credits, we see him being very meticulous at, at making his uh, his breakfast. Yes. And we actually learn that he's quite a connoisseur of, uh, of cooking. Which, yeah, which is a smart thing. And uh, uh, he also uh, points out that he loves birds, meaning women, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, And as as you and I both know, the quickest way to a woman's heart is through her stomach. They say it's through a man's heart, but but you and I both know, Brendan, as men, as strong, virile men that we are. Yes. That uh, the easiest way to make your wife happy or your girlfriend is to cook her a meal. Yeah. I, I got I got the visual of going through someone's stomach when you said that. <laughs> Good. Uh, it was, it was messing me up a little bit. The, uh, folks, just picture the special effects sequence that cost us $150 million now. Yeah. Wasn't that cool? We did shoot that. Yeah, We're we just did. not going to put it because it's an audio podcast. No, because uh, ultimately the imagination is better than anything we could come up with. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Our financiers might be a little mad, but you know what? They gave us $200 million. We were going to spend most of it. <laughs> um. Actually, if you don't mind, Jason, I'd like to play another little clip here um, because we talked about... Well, what if I did mind? What would you fucking do about it? I would do it anyway. Exactly. So let's do it. Um, we talked about his him being a connoisseur of like cooking and everything. So I actually just want to play the grocery store scene. Yes. Oh, so and this is an interesting scene too because for them, this is a new method of, of shopping. Mm. Uh, uh, we take it for granted here in the West uh, uh, and especially here in North America of how you go shop for groceries. You go to the grocery store. But apparently in England, that wasn't a thing up until like the 50s and 60s when those American-style grocery stores started opening there. Do you think that's because um, the war rations started running out? The uh, switchover? Well, I mean, there's that. I mean, in that economic boom after, it would have encouraged people to start opening up grocery stores and stuff because I imagine before that, you would go to like shops. So like, oh, you go to the veggie shop to get your veggies. You go yeah. to the butcher to get your meat. You go down to the chemist to get your tobacco and your drugs. That and sounds go, terrible. Yeah, so you'd have to hit a lot of places. So this was a big deal, putting everything in one spot. You yeah. can get your cigarettes and your bananas all in the same go. <laughs> that's that's all I need to that's get is all my I cigarettes, want. And, my cigarettes bananas. and bananas. That's what we lived off of in the 50s in England. Uh, but yeah, in this scene, he actually runs in. So this is after they've, um, we didn't really talk about it, but this is after he, he's found the Ipcress file, yes. the, the main thing in the movie. And the real intrigue begins. Yeah, and, and Colonel Ross uh, knows about this. Now, remember, Colonel Ross is his former boss who transferred him right. to Captain or Dolby. Major Major Dalby. Yeah. So yes. he, he runs into him and he, he's trying to needle him to get this information from yeah. him. Oh. Good morning, sir. Champignon. You're paying ten pence more for a fancy French label. If you want button mushrooms, you'll get better value on the next shelf. It's not just the label. These do have a better flavor. Of course. You're quite a gourmet, aren't you, Palmer? Beefaroni. Extraordinary. I haven't seen you here before, sir. No, well, I don't um, really care for these American shopping methods. One has to move with the times, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's very nice. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Settle down with... Dolby, have you? 
Hmm? Yes, sir. And the girl Courtney, too. You didn't come here... Excuse me. Sorry. You didn't come here to talk to me about... Button mushrooms and birds. Perceptive of you. May I? That, um, tape. You must have a pretty thick file on it now. That's right. That's, uh, baby food, sir. I, I love, my favorite line in the entire movie, beefaroni extraordinary. <laughs> so wonderfully offhanded, hilarious. Oh. And I missed it the first time I watched it. Just watching the clip now, I laughed out loud because I was like, oh yeah, that's great. I love it. Um, also, uh, maybe this is just me, but uh, in this post-COVID world, I was very uncomfortable with how cramped everybody was in that store. <laughs> I was too. It's so weird because like... I. I mean, like I know I'm watching a movie that didn't take, didn't wasn't filmed this year, and, and this whole and this whole thing would have been just fine 12 months ago. We wouldn't have even thought about it. It doesn't age well. They should probably remove it from the film. Yes, yes. take it out, cut it, edit it. <laughs> no, it is so weird. I watch other movies Wait, like that. Better yet, better yet, just CG masks on them. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say I watch other movies like this now, yeah. um, including movies that come out this year that I know were not filmed during the pan- pandemic. Yeah. Although that's eventually gonna happen. Yes. And I just watch them and I'm like, that's so irresponsible. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> right, right. It's from the past, from the before times, uh, before the Empire. Right, before the Empire, before the New Order took mm-hmm. over. Um, guys, watch The Mandalorian. Um, but yeah, no, I really like that scene. And that's, and you, like you said, very, very British. Yes. Um, beefaroni, extraordinary. Extraordinary. Also, you know what else? Um, another movie this whole movie reminded me of is Brazil. Oh. And Interesting. that's because of all the bureaucracy stuff. Yes. I think, that's the, you know, fill out form L101 and this and do this and make sure you said your field reports in every day. I, I guess when you have a license to kill, paperwork is a, a minor concern. I mean, I suppose that's what Money Penny is for uh, in James Bond's world. Yeah, it's a woman's work. Also, I wanted to point out, too. Wait, uh, I just want to point out that was a joke. <laughs> for, I just wanted to point out Brendan is actually a misogynist. So well, I mean, you, potato, potato. But uh, I wanted to point out that earlier in the movie, actually in that first clip we, we showed, and I didn't mention it then, but speaking of Money Penny, uh, his Money Penny is quite different. Uh, whereas Money Penny was like James Bond's attractive uh, like office uh, uh, assistant who handled all his paperwork. In this movie, I don't remember what her name was. Do you have the name handy? Are you talking about the girl that he ends up sleeping with? No, no. The the lady with the, the older lady. Oh, with Alice. The cats. Alice, right. Yeah. Alice. He has Alice, who is an older lady. She has uh, big hair. She has cat's eye glasses and uh, a rough attitude. Yeah. And, and she's a no bullshit kind of money penny. And well, I respect that. Well, yeah. And she's the one who says, like, you know, we heard in the clip, quite frankly, like, uh, do you do you smoke a pipe? Oh, Mr. Taylor was scared of cancer. Yeah. And that was the guy. <laughs> that was the guy who died at the beginning of yeah. the movie. He was supposed to protect the doctor. Um, but yeah, so now I, I like that again. That difference of like this this hard old lady versus a, a young nubile secretary. <laughs> Speaking of females in this movie, Jason, it was kind of refreshing to see. I think we mentioned it a little bit before, but it was kind of refreshing to see a female character kind of have a little bit more personality than you expect in these kinds of movies. Yeah. And I'm talking about Courtney, yes. uh, Jean Courtney. She's one of the agents who we're under the belief that she is working for. Uh, Dalby mm-hmm. to keep an eye on everyone. We even have a scene where Michael Caine returns home, uh, notices that his light is on, and comes in and it's her, and yeah. she's like snooping or whatever. And then, of course, we later find out that she's actually working for Ross. Mm-hmm. Um, 
to spy on him and there's a whole thing there and we actually think she's going to be a villain too yeah. at one point um because she calls on ross as soon as he leaves the apartment. i assumed she was going to be a villain at first because she wouldn't eat his food he's like oh she's like oh you're gonna eat all that and he's like well you know i was hoping you might join me for a meal and she's like i'm not hungry <laughs> do you also find like okay so i think one of the big bond things is he has his bond girls yes right they all fall for him they all think he's wonderful and I mean, I guess technically this is his Bond girl, but sort of. But it's it, I don't know that they. I, I don't remember them ever actually consummating the relationship. Oh the, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's implied they have sex. It is implied, but like it's not really directly shown. And any feast. Well, no, I mean it's not like a 20 minute scene of them just going to Pound Town. <laughs> Michael Caine insisted. That's in the director's cut. Uh, Listen, which we did not watch. I'm not gonna do it unless I put my dick inside of her. I see. It's gotta be on screen. It's gotta be real. I'm a method actor now, and I want you to pay me more because I gotta buy a boat. <laughs> But it has to be more than she makes. <laughs> oh, no. No matter how much it is, it's going to be more than it. Oh, no, 1960s Michael Caine. I'm, I'm sorry, Michael Caine. I don't mean to cast aspersions. I don't mean to imply that you're a misogynist. I'd like to believe otherwise, but you are 87, so I mean, knows? he's had some dicey views on stuff, so. Hmm. He's no Eric Clapton, anyways. The only thing, yeah, <laughs> the only thing he said that I was uh, that I was like a breathe a little sigh of relief is after he was talking about Brexit and said some shit. Uh, they asked him, "Oh, so would you like support Donald Trump?" He's like, "No, I'm a Democrat. I'm afraid." <laughs> <laughs> That's so, great. There you go. Wonderful. Um, but yeah, no, I think she she has like some decent uh, some decent stuff. She's not in it for a long time. Yeah. Um, can we hear a little bit of uh, Courtney? Gene Courtney. I was I was gonna say too, like just before we quickly before we started, it's yeah. just, you know she does end up being sort of a love interest for Michael Caine, but she seems like she's there, like she's not just that, she's not just some girl that's involved. She's clearly a competent agent of her own. She's stature. above. She's I'd argue she's above his intellect level. Yeah, and and seeing a woman in that type of role is nice in that era because usually it's even if you have a good woman character in that situation often they're relegated to secretaries or assistants yeah and i mean not all bond girls have been uh you know just stock characters i mean you had rocket scientist denise richards that's right absolutely christmas Uh, jones Jones. she only comes once a year as i understand (laughs) well sometimes not at all (laughs) that's a different movie um But yeah, uh, no, let's, let's listen. Let's take a listen. All right. But you like girls. Now you got that right. You're not the tearaway he thinks you are. You also like books, music, cooking. I like birds best. How'd you get into this game? My husband was in it. He was killed in Tokyo. Oh, I'm sorry. So they gave me a job. You were bailed out of detention barracks. Yes, I was. So what bailed you in? Uh, I, I was stationed in Berlin, and I was making rather a lot of money out of the German army, and they insisted that the British army made an example of me. What did you do? Oh, it's very complicated. Seems to have impressed Ross. Well, it impressed me. Boys, he got me by the short hairs for it. Still, it's better than two years in the nick. The food's terrible there. Um. So yeah. So she has that little scene, and then she has a couple of other scenes. I just think she was, you know, yeah. did more stuff than I expected. Yeah. Um. I also just wanted to say too, uh, in the in the book, because this is based on a book. Um, 
they they kind of removed a lot of the ambiguity of the novel. Like in mm. the novel, I guess you you don't really know if his name is even really Harry Palmer. Yeah, you he don't... makes some reference about like I I don't know if I've been called this. Or yeah, it's like I I don't know if it was my it's not my name, but it might have been. Like, yeah, it's hard to remember whether yeah. it you know it was. what it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, but in the screenplay, they made it very clear that his name was Harry Palmer, uh, and and. and the other thing too is like the whole thing with the cooking, um, that he's a really great cook. Uh, Michael Caine is not a good cook apparently, or mm. was not at the time. Mm. And they actually had to, uh, they, he tried to teach him to crack Len an Dayton, egg with one hand. himself, the guy that wrote the book tried to teach him how to cook. Yeah. Like with crack an egg with one yeah. hand and he couldn't do it. So <laughs> when you, when you see the eggs cracking, that's just the author doing it. I, I would love to stuff. think that the hands are just like completely different. Like just big, huge, swarthy hands cracking these eggs. <laughs> just like Morgan Freeman's hands, just cracking the eggs. Interesting fact. If you watch Lord of the Rings, you can, you can tell when Elijah Wood's actually actual hands are on screen because Elijah Wood bites his nails and you can see that his nails are bitten down pretty much to the nub. Mm-hmm. And if you see a hand that is not that, then it's somebody else. Fun and fact: it's Michael Caine, <laughs> <laughs> or the author of the Upcrest file. Did Michael Caine write the Lord of the Rings? Um, I mean, there's debate about it. Frodo but... was a little guy, right? <laughs> he lived in an owl in the ground. Excuse me, you're nothing but a hobbit. <laughs> Let's talk about the actual crime here, yes. the actual mystery, because you mentioned, well, we mentioned a little bit, um, it's this the scientists, you know, they're suddenly quitting at the top of their profession, mm. they don't know what's going on, yes. they actually do get this doctor back halfway through the movie, but then when he's giving he's his, messed up, yeah, well, he gives his lecture, yeah, because Michael Caine is just, let's say Harry Palmer, Harry Palmer is like his, uh, you know, keeping an eye on him, yeah, he goes to give his lecture, and suddenly... He can't like he just stops in the middle of it and can't and can't say anything. By the way, Jason, it's at this point where Michael Caine is not wearing his glasses, which we have that cool POV shot mm. where everything's blurry. Yes, and I got I gotta wonder because he looks into the crowd and he sees the the one black guy, and it kind of the movie kind of makes you think like, wait a second, he don't belong. Yeah, no, exactly for sure. Like they see a black guy and they think mm, American. So what we haven't talked about so far is why this American is there. Right. So they did get the scientists back about halfway through the movie. Yes. Um, the deal is arranged and a bunch of guys with fucking MP40s show up, which made me think, wait, are the bad guys the Germans in this movie? Dolby gets the deal arranged. Yeah, he gets um, the deal arranged. He, he, yeah, they meet up at like a, at like a orchestra. <laughs> at the, at a recital of the Royal Irish, uh, like a, it's like a military band, a military yeah. unit band. And he gets the songs. whole thing arranged. Yeah. Like you said, mp Which is hilarious too, because Michael Caine loves Mozart. And at one point they start playing Mozart and he clearly is not pleased with their rendition of Mozart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so he sets that up. So they, they set up the exchange, they bring the money. They exchange the body for the money, and as they're getting ready to leave, there's, like, somebody in the shadows. So Michael Caine just decides to open up with his machine gun and kills that person in the shadows. And it turns out that person was a CIA agent, an ally of the country. So he's fucked up big. Mm-hmm. And then he's being tailed by this this uh, gentleman of color uh, who is an American um, and a pipe smoker, too. He's not afraid of cancer, this guy. No. Um yeah, and, and literally at one point he's like, you're following me. He's like, yeah, I'm tailing you. I'm with the CIA. <laughs> yeah, and he essentially says if I find out that you, 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 you did, did that this, intentionally, you're going to be dead. Yeah, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, but yeah, no, so he sees that guy. And so, so yeah, the doctor is clearly something's not right. And they're like, okay, well, hold on now. We saved him, but something's fucked up here. So, like you said, when they when they go to that warehouse and do that raid that doesn't work out, they find this little thing of film that says Ipcress. Yeah. And they're trying to figure out what that means. And we're about to find out what that means. So let's listen. Uh, Michael Caine's buddy Jock is doing the research, and he finds out exactly what Ipcress is. Induction of psychoneuroses by conditioned reflex under stress. What does that mean? It means I know now why 17 scientists cease to function. Yes. Look again, boy. I... P C R E S S. Ipcress. Have you got your car outside? Yes. I'm going to see Radcliffe. I want to try a wee experiment. Take a look at it when I'm away. It's all in there, boy. Be sure to lock it up after you. Right. So this is when they figured it out. They know what it is now. It's it's a journal that is explaining how to do this procedure, which involves a lot of like lights and weird sounds and trying to implant commands and suggestions into yeah. the mind. Like you said, it's it's very Manchurian Candidate. But yeah. you know what? I got another movie's vibe from this scene um, where we get later when Michael Caine actually gets kidnapped and uh, they try to do the ta- they try to do the procedure on him because mm-hmm. after this scene, Jock is killed. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a really cool shot because they show like there's a traffic jam suddenly cut to him with a bullet hole yeah. in his head, which yeah. I was actually a little shocked to yeah. see. That was a little that brutal. Was gro- uh, that was uh, gory for 1960, whatever. 65, yeah. 65, yeah. Um, but then, yeah, so then um, Michael Caine ends up getting kidnapped and we go through this whole thing and they start trying to brainwash him with this sound. And you know what? It reminded me of a fucking... It reminded me of a clockwork orange. Yeah, exactly. I literally just thought that as you were going to say it. Yeah. yeah clockwork orange like, for sure. Like, it had that same kind of like trying to modify your brain with imagery and sound. And I'm wondering, because clockwork orange was 1973, I believe. Yeah. This is 65. I mean, there could be some influence there. When, do you know when clockwork orange, the book was written? Uh, I don't know, but hey, I mean. Hey Siri, I, when was a clockwork orange written? Never mind. Told me the movie. Fuck you, Siri. Fuck you. Not even just the book. I just thought the way it was filmed yeah. uh, reminded me of that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Kubrick saw it. Yeah. 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 And what does he do, Jason, to make sure that he doesn't get hypnotized? Pain! He has a little nail that he just digs into his own hand. To quote the greatest starship captain that ever lives, or to paraphrase him, he needs his pain. Sure. And if you guys know who that is, then you know one more thing than me. And you know this least. from the worst of those movies. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. The first one? Uh, no, the fifth one. <laughs> I need my pain. Gotcha. So, I, actually, you know what? I do uh, another clip. I'm sorry. Another but clip. I do you want to hear him in pain, do you? I do want to hear the sounds of the Upcrest file. All right. And we heard a little bit of the sound earlier in the movie because they found that that tape, right? And it had those sounds on it because they played it back on a reel to reel. Yeah, they play but we but we think but we think when we hear it then that it's just nothing, right? Exactly. That's just bullshit so listen closely folks and hopefully if this works out right we will have implanted suggestions in your brain i hope so So whenever we say listen carefully you will do whatever we ask yes so think about that here we go (laughs) 
but that was just to give you an idea of the sound of uh episode now now listen to me download this episode and make all of your friends download it too i was gonna ask why you were asking them to do something they'd already done well if you've already downloaded it then congrats but also (laughs) get all of your friends to download it too. force them force them with threats of violence listen to me closely donate all your money to the what were they thinking patreon since we don't have our own (laughs) and i will disperse it accordingly (laughs) i feel weird having two patreons for two different podcasts (laughs) that i'm also on i don't think we're that popular enough to warrant people giving us money guys if you want to give us money let us know let us know know. we'll 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 poll you and if there's enough people that want to give us money we'll figure out a thing we'll we'll get a cash app we would appreciate money i mean i can't make you give me money I mean, uh, but could, I would like money. I mean, you could. If you've got a lot of money, yeah. maybe you should give us some of that money. Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg, come on. Now, this isn't this isn't like a, an ad or anything. I'm just saying, as people, if you have money, please give it to us. I just like the idea of someone being like, money, there's a lot of it, and you <laughs> might have a lot of it. We might not have that much. Why don't you give that money to us? Who don't have a lot of money. And we'll put it to good use. We'll we'll buy new TVs. We'll get new cell phones. We'll get some sweet sneakers. We'll do all the things that poor people do when they're given money by anyone. We sound like like Andy Rooney. (laughs) Have you ever noticed? (laughs) (laughs) We're great. We are. We're we're fantastic. We're we're, we're, uh, flawless. Flawless. 100%. These these episodes, by the way, are heavily scripted. And <laughs> You'd be surprised. With so many edits, I have mm-hmm. to make because you know I go off script a lot. Jason's like, no, no, Brendan, you got to go on. You got to stay with the stick. With Five the of Brendan's seven days of the week are spent editing this specific podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't work. I just do this. That's why we need money. That's why we need it. <laughs> um. Okay. So I just want to also mention too. Um. Do you know that? Uh, so the the person that was actually gonna was gonna adapt the novel was a, a gentleman named Jimmy Sangster. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy Sangster was actually the writer of a bunch of different Hammer horror films, mm. including the 1958 Dracula with Christopher Lee. Blah. Um, he was eager to adapt it. He actually suggested Michael Caine and Sidney J. Fury to direct. Uh, but Saltzman, Harry Saltzman didn't want to commit to the time frame that he wanted. Um, so he had uh, he had somebody else write a script for him, but a gentleman by the name of Ken Hughes. And Ken Hughes wrote movies like Alfie Darling, mm-hmm. the sequel with Alan Price instead of Michael Caine, a per- perfect replacement. Nice. Um, Cromwell, starring Richard Harris, and an old classic, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Wait, hold on a sec. Alan Price from Women in Love? No, no, you're thinking guy? of Alan Bate. Oh, Alan Bates, yeah, okay. Yeah. Alan Alan Price is uh, some of the guys. I'm much less interested in watching that movie now. Uh, Alan Price sings, You can do whatever you want in Shangri-La. <laughs> you know that song. Yeah, totally, obviously. Um, but anyway, Ken Hughes writes the script. Saltzman also rejects it. Asshole. I just wanted to, I just wanted to be, basically tell you that Harry Saltzman's probably an asshole. Although I love the I love the bit about how uh, so when they were coming up with Harry Palmer's name that they thought well they asked Michael Caine or Harry Saltzman said to Michael Caine like well, what's a boring name and he said Harry. <laughs> and he's like oh thanks. <laughs> and then and then he asked him well what's a boring last name and then he thought and he realized he's like well the most boring kid in my school was named tommy palmer so palmer <laughs> wait 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 michael kane suggested I, that? I thought that was michael kane was that not the character's name in the book i think his name i don't know 
Huh. I feel like that. Uh, I feel like I read that on Wikipedia, the arbiter of all truth. Wikipedia, donate today. Yeah, they're always asking for money. Well, send them some. Also, I just want to know. Um, just go while you're looking that up. Going back to the Bond thing. Um, not only is this movie produced by Harry Saltzman, one of the Bond producers, but also uh, production designer Ken Adam, same mm-hmm. guy. Uh, film editor Peter Hunt, same person. And the score was done by John Barry, who did both uh, both scores. They did many scores for James Bond, I should say. They did. Was John Barry... Oh, no, it was Monty somebody that wrote the James Bond theme, wasn't it? Uh, I don't know. You don't know. Also, Jason, did you know that there's like four sequels to this movie? Yeah, yeah. There's, um, I think... There's two sequels that have Michael Caine in them, like theatrical sequels. Mm. There's a sequel that doesn't feature him, and the character has a different name, but it's still the same character. But here's the crazy thing. Oh, by the way, we're going to talk about two of these for okay. sure in future episodes. But they were followed up by uh, sequels. Um, I mean, again, much like you know, just other Bond movies, these were just meant to be other Harry Palmer movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Funeral in Berlin, which was actually directed by Guy Hamilton. Who also directed Goldfinger, Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die, and The Man with the Golden Gun. So there's another James Bond connection for you, uh, Jason. Okay. Um, and then he also did Billion Dollar Brain, directed by Earl Pal and director of one of the movies that I hate the most, Ken Russell. <laughs> uh, did Women in Love. And then, of course, he uh, Michael Caine came back again. He's in all four. Yeah. Um, he's in uh, two TV movies. Yes. Uh, Bullet to Beijing. And Midnight in St. Petersburg. And they didn't come out until the mid-90s. Yes, they were TV movies, and they have they're, while they were often called Len Dayton's, they were not based on novels. Right. So they were just further adventures in Harry, for Harry Palmer. And here's the big news, breaking news, as of last month, Jason. Hmm. It was announced that there will be a six-part serial uh, of The Ipcrest File starring Tom Hollander and Lucy Boynton on ITV. Tom Hollander? Hollander, not not Spider-Man. I was going to say, I think he's a little young to play that role. By the way, Lucy Boynton, um, I actually, I mean, I was an extra, but I kind of met her on sort of. Copperhead. And she the is... greatest Civil War movie ever made, ladies and gentlemen, Copperhead, Listen. Bre- starring Brendan Wall. Listen, my point is that she is wonderful. <laughs> Directed by Confederate apologist Ron Maxwell. Oh my God, I will never work in this town again. <laughs> so on the on the subject of the name. Yes. So in the Wikipedia article... At least it's not Harry Hole, like in the, the snowman, Wikipedia article, right? Yeah, oh God, don't compare this to the snowman. Come on. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, in the Wikipedia article about Harry Palmer, it says that um, uh, Michael Caine says producer Harry Saltzman thought up the surname Palmer, and Caine initially remarked that Harry was a dull name, not realizing his gaffe until seeing Saltzman's stare. In a Len Feldman interview, Caine recalled, I made a rather bad social blunder because he said, what's the dullest name you could think of? And I said, Harry. And he said, thanks very much. And then he said, what's the dull surname? And the most boring boy in our school was called Palmer, Tommy Palmer. So he said, all right, we'll call him Harry Palmer. So I'm sorry. So you're saying that it wasn't that name in the book at all? No. Okay. Well, I, I, mm, that's a good question because I feel like in the book it was mentioned that it was – hold on a sec here. This is a mystery that is haunting our podcast, much like Jimmy Stewart's ghost. I also got vibes of Hitchcock in this movie, and I also got vibes of film noir. Yes. Did you find like this, the way like the, sh- the the stark like shadows and everything like it felt very film noir to me? Yeah, it did. It, um, but it was in color. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you can have color. You can for sure, but but when I think of film noir, I tend to think of the stark black and white, like yeah. using like like you know the the, the harsh light on the you blinds that give you that like. You're thinking of like double indemnity. And yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah, or or even more recently, something like the man who wasn't there, like mm. the Cone Brothers, like that sort of shit. Um, but yeah, no, this is but this is also this is not a super colorful movie. It's, no, it's much more. It's very sixties. It's very gritty. It's very monochromatic in a lot of ways. And I mean, you could almost say, as minor as her character ends up being, you can almost say Courtney is kind of a femme fatale yeah in a way like i I mean she she turns out to not be who she says she is yeah but she's not actively trying to kill him (laughs) no i mean not yet did you also notice too i I didn't realize after the fact but uh this movie is a lot of it is in deep focus like you can see almost everything in the screen and it's because of the way they shot it that Mm. they apparently used a technique where they used half of a 35 millimeter frame to film a given like widescreen shot and for whatever reason that allowed them to to do this kind of deep focus that we all, of course, remember from Citizen Kane. Right. Uh, uh, maybe there's some dummies out there that don't, but they don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> you dummies who haven't yeah, seen dummies Citizen Kane. Come on. It's like one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. That and Pootie Tang. The two best movies. One, They, they actually sell them in a two-pack now at Target. <laughs> I would buy it in a heartbeat. Of course you would. Even even if I owned both. Why don't they do that? There's got to be some company that would be willing to put out like these uh, combination uh, like DVDs of just completely opposite movies of completely unrelated. Yeah, I want like uh, I want like uh, uh, the Great Dictator and the Art of the Deal. That's right. I want. That's a movie. <laughs> hey, it is. It's a Funnier Die movie. Oh, starring Johnny Depp as Donald Trump. So say I want, um, I want like uh, a brief encounter and movie forty three in the same package. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I saw, I saw. I want like, um, like um, Hereditary and like Manos, the Hands of Fate. Perfect, absolutely perfect. <laughs> but I mean, they're still both horror movies, kind of. So okay, fine. Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, Manos, Hands there of Fate. There we go. That's what we. That's want. the two pack we all want and deserve. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> das Boot and Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Perfect. I would watch that six-hour double feature. <laughs> Four of those are Das Boot. Yeah. No, no, it's the extended cut of Sarah Marshall. Oh, okay. TV sorry. cut of Das Boot. Sorry. Actually, the TV cut of Das Boot is six hours. Hey, if I I'm, get, I'm falling into my own hole here. If I can get more Jason Siegel dick, I'm in. Let's just finish this fucking podcast, Brendan. I mean, we can talk about Jason Siegel's dick. Well, I mean, yeah, it was, it was, it was there. Good for him for being so brave. <laughs> I mean, he wrote it. I mean, it was, so it was his choice. So yeah. maybe he got off on it. I don't know. If he enjoyed himself, great. I'm happy for him. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Okay, well, let's, let's talk about... Uh, the, the other thing I really wanted to touch on was the last uh, scene. Yes, of That's course. great. And it's basically... So we find out over the course of the movie that Dalby, his new boss, mm. is actually the one... That's like the mole. He's the inside man. He's the inside man, which they reveal so in such a cool way. Well, he's sitting with Grantby, isn't he? And he just picks up the phone and he uses the code word. He's like, listen to me closely. Well, he does. He picks up the phone after Michael Caine has escaped Mm. um, the, uh, the, the, you know, the testing, the Ipcrest stuff that they're trying to do to him. But they still get him a little bit. And he picks up the phone. Dolby answers. And then as Michael Caine is like, oh, I managed to escape. He kind of puts his hand to the phone. He looks over and he says, did you? Did you get him? Like, did you finish the procedure? And then, boom, Eric pops up into frame and says, well, I would have liked to finish it. So yeah. he's there. He's he right clearly, there. like, right there, you see their alliance, and he's he's a he's a villain. And I thought that was so cool because they had the giant lamp in the foreground. So you couldn't see that he was sit- who he was sitting beside. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yes, and then Dalby is like, go to the warehouse, uh, wait for Ross, blah, blah, blah. And then Ross and Dalby show up. 
And it's this, it's this scene where Michael Caine has pointed the gun. And we see, like, this shot from over his shoulder of just, like, his arm reached out with the gun. And he goes back and forth. And Dolby tries to, like, yeah. mess with his head again. And it's just I just think that's it's, really it, tense. It is a very tense scene. And he's, like, telling him, he's like, listen to me closely. Kill the traitor. Now, the, now the, the twist in this scene I thought that was going to be – it was that was going to happen is he says – Kill Ross. Yeah. And then he says, kill the traitor. And I thought Michael Caine was going to be like, well, technically you're the traitor. Yeah. But uh, instead he just like hits his hand. And yeah, causes he causes pain the pain to disrupt the effect and then shoots him. What was interesting to me is this is clearly the first, I, I mean, maybe it isn't the first, but like, I feel like, you, you know, the old trope of like, there's the cl- two clones and it's like, shoot, which one are you going to shoot? Yeah, like, yeah. I feel like this must've been one of the earliest examples of this, even though they're not clones they're just his two bosses, but he doesn't know which one to shoot exactly. essentially. And actually for a lot of the movie, they try to make us think that Ross is the one. Yeah. Right? They yeah, exactly. Think, it, it's, it, that's where it's, it seems to be where Michael Caine's uh, idea is going. Which even knowing the trope of like, oh, they're pushing this guy because it's not this guy, I still kind of bought into it. I was like, yeah, I think it's Ross. Like, I never for one second thought it was Dolby, the new boss. Yeah. I never, I never like really bought into that. Yeah. They got me. <laughs> they got me. Jason, do you have any, um, oh yeah, and by the way, I just want to say the whole thing with um, putting or getting rid of memories or like messing with people's heads. It kind of reminded me of Mr. Memory. Yeah, exactly. Steps. That came up too in my head. Yeah. Okay. Mr. Memory for sure. Lots of like little yeah. illusions here. Um, but do you have anything, other, any other big things that you want to talk about before we go into your bits and bobs? Nothing specifically. No. Okay. There's one other thing I want to say. Um, in this movie, smoking is seen as a sign of weakness. Uh, in Bond, it's like a cool, suave thing to do, but Harry Palmer doesn't smoke for half the movie. And then when he gets really stressed when his buddy Jock dies, he starts smoking. Yeah. And then he smokes for the rest of the movie. Um, I just thought that was interesting. That's a neat, neat transition, yeah. Yeah. But we're going to take a break. We're going to hear from our great sponsors at Age of Radio. Age of Radio. And we will be right back. Here's a bit about a bob. It's a bit about a bob and bits and bobs. Bits and bobs. Jason's got some bits and bobs. Like his mother, the she youngest did. one in curls. Wait. She's got so many bits and bobs in curls. Bits and bobs. All right. A few bits and bobs here. Uh, uh, that clock at the beginning is very loud. It's very annoying. And it kind of ties to the end of the movie when the, mute la- uh, the noise is also very loud and very annoying. Don't slouch like a pregnant camel. You don't. That's one of the lines. (laughs) Absolutely not. Um, Let's see here. Uh, We have one Irish character who shows up and calls him Boyo. I thought that was funny. Um, He had a better accent than Richard Gere, too. Absolutely. Perfect accent. Uh, Any more money? Uh, At one point, he says, because Bond never asked about his paycheck, but Harry Palmer sure did. I love that. He's like, yeah, he's like, we're going to 13,000. He's like, Oh, and then Ross is like, well, I'll try for 14000 And then at the end of the movie, he says something about, like, I just went through all this shit. And he's like, well, that's what we pay you for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, isn't it great how the movie just ends? Yeah, it just ends. There's no... As soon as this gunshot, yep. it's just the end. That's it. No more bullshit. Yeah. Uh, uh, at one point uh, in the room with all the agents, they're all handed their assignments, and they all say thank you, except for Palmer. <laughs> but that was funny. I also like how when he tries to make uh, a sexy, like, Bond-type comment at a girl, where he says, like, oh, thanks for a wonderful evening, she just ignores him. Yes. Like, it doesn't work. There, there's some... 
guitar music in this movie that sounds very much like the Tristram theme from Diablo. Now, if any of you out there have played the original Diablo on uh, from Blizzard, it is the the town theme. The, it just sounds so. It's not exactly as haunting as that, but it's more like spy and ja- and has a bit of jazz feel to it. But it sounds like it. Yes, really the theme crazy. from the motion picture of the town. <laughs> sure, it's it's somewhere in there. Go look, watch the movie and you'll you'll know. I'm real glad Palmer didn't give uh, that blonde lady's number to that uh, creep. No, exactly, absolutely. There was a scene there where he was like, I'll give you this information on how to catch this criminal if you give me the, this bird's number. As I said, I thought that the bad guys were maybe being telegraphed to be Germans based on the fact that I saw them carrying MP40s, which was a German gun. And then later in the movie when he's in the, quote, Albanian prison, there's German written on the walls, mm. at least one phrase, which is Gott mit uns, which is God protect us. And by the way, that whole scene is a good 20 minutes or so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just significant so. part of the movie. Uh... There's a weird dub on the word American at one point. I don't know if they changed it, but I had no information uh, to that. (laughs) Oh, going back to the scene, too, where they're listening to the orchestra, he says, must we sit through any more of this torture? And then Dalby says, I think they're playing very well. And he says, tell me who wins. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) As if it's a game. (laughs) But uh, I think that's pretty much all I have for specific bits and bobs. Yeah. Uh, There was another appearance of our theme song during a duck feeding scene. Just wanted to mention that. Very nice. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I cheered. When I heard that. <laughs> uh, I love the I love the shut the door moments. So there's moments where he meets with Dolby and he meets with um, Ross, and they say shut the door, and then they shut the door behind him. But then there's a moment where he finally confronts Ross in the warehouse, and I, th- I think it's when he confronts Ross. He tells him to shut the door. Yes, and it's like the first time he's had kind of, had kind of control. Exactly. Um, and uh, I think that's it. I do want to mention that at the BAFTAs, this thing goes to the BAFTAs, it was nominated for Best British Actor for Michael Caine. However, it was won by Dirk Bogard for Darling, which is another movie we talked about. Um, nominated for Best British Screenplay, which also went to Darling. And it won Best Art Direction, Color Art Direction, yeah. Best Cinematography, Color, and Best British Film. Nice. Uh, the movie premiered in London in 1965. Uh, it was kind of got a mixed reaction at the time. People were just like, it's pleasantly mystifying and then it becomes irritatingly obscure was the re- was the review um a review variety though was super positive it said it was the anti-bond for its unglamorous depiction of espionage absolutely and praised kane's uh, understated performance but it also criticized the sometimes this is the quote arty crafty camera work yeah um and then of course they have all the sequels and you know over the years obviously it is now looked at as a classic i don't know how much this movie made but it cost $750,000 to make. So there you go. So Jason, did okay. So Jason, my question to you is, the Ipcrest file, will you put it in your recycle bin or will you save it on your desktop? It is saved on the desktop, my friend. This is a solid movie. It's a lot of fun. Uh, uh, it's interesting. It's more grounded than James Bond. It's a little more realistic. Um, it's a nice counterpoint to that. Not that there's anything wrong with James Bond. It's great, but it's cool to see like a much more like like I say, realistic take on it. And Michael Caine is just charming as hell, and he's fun, and yeah, it's a, it's a solid movie, and I'm looking forward to the sequels. I'm going to uh, give a little bit of a hot take here. I really like this movie, and my hot take is that I would leave Gold... Not Goldmember, Goldfinger. I would mm. leave Goldfinger on the list. I would actually take off Dr. No yeah. and just have this, and just have the Bond and the anti-Bond. Yeah. I don't think we need two Bonds. No, and, and of all the other Bonds to have on there, Dr. No is important, but I don't know that it would be the one. It's the first Gold one. Goldfinger is the most iconic James Bond movie, for yeah. sure. I mean, it's the first one, but it doesn't... I mean, we don't have Duel on the AFI Top 100. No, exactly. <laughs> so exactly. It doesn't have to be the first one, necessarily. But yeah, no, I think this movie's really good. I think uh, definitely deserves its place in history. 
So now comes the time when we roll the dice. Well, Jason's going to roll the dice because he gets the next two dice rolls. That's right. Uh, but you, you will notice that we sound differently, and that's because Jason was like, fuck you, Brendan. I'm out. Go fuck yourself. You, you're ugly. You smell, and I'm done with this, and I will see you next week. As I say, almost every week. Yeah. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> so for the last few minutes of this, we are uh, we are we are doing this remote, and we thank you for your patience, folks. Um, because uh, I don't know why I'm thanking them for their patience. It sounds pretty much the exact same fucking thing. You know what, listeners, get over yourself. That's get right. Get over yourself. Knock it off. Relax. Jesus. Knock off. And also, thanks for listening. And you've been a dear, dear uh, friend of ours for years. All um, right. Yeah. So it is time for the dice roll. Jason, what does this entail? It means I am going to roll two D10 die, but since I don't actually have two D10s, I'm going to do it virtually at rolladie.net with a legitimate dice roller, and we're going to find out what this week's movie will be. Well, next week's movie will be. We already know what this week's movie was. It was The Ipcrest File. Yeah, we talked about it literally uh, five minutes ago. All right. (laughs) Also, Jason, don't give them a fucking free plug. You better be getting (laughs) a check for that. I just want to assure our legitness. Are we ready, sir? We are ready, and I've got the list. All right. So here we go. The first dice roll is rolling, and I'm going to hit stop. 19. 19 is Chariots of Fire. Already Already done it. Here we go again. We do it twice as fast. Let's hit it and stop. (laughs) Uh, uh, 17. Okay. We got a movie here, Jason. All right. What are we doing? 17 is the 1951 film directed by Charles Crichton, and it is called The Lavender Hill Mob. Oh, okay. I think I've heard of this one before. I know the name, uh, but I believe uh, I believe this is a uh, comedy, perhaps. I believe it's an Ealing Studios comedy. Ooh, so it's gonna look pretty. I hope. Yeah, yeah. Or, I think, and I believe, Jason. I believe, uh, featuring the return of of one Sir Alec Guinness. Awesome! Can't wait to see our old friend. So with that being said, Jason, uh, they can find us on Twitter at bfi underscore pod. They can find us on Facebook by searching for for screen and country. They can find you on Twitter. They can find me at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. That's at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Yes, I know how to spell my own name and come compliment me on that fact. (laughs) Yes, talk about how how great he is at spelling his own name. And then also, um, if you play some music, he might actually just do whatever you say. It's very possible. I, 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 you just, just make sure you use the right code word. Listen closely. Right, right, exactly. Um, but uh, I guess with all that being said, Jason, we're going to talk about the Lavender Hill mob next week. Uh, but uh, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for screen and country, my name is a Brandon. And my name is a Jason. We're doing our borats. Yes. Or maybe we're also doing the wild and crazy guys. I don't know. <laughs> Very nice, sexy time. <laughs> bye bye. We get ya, ya, ya. We get ya, ya, ya. I am Michael Kane. <laughs>
And this is Heather. And we are Nerdy Bitches Podcast. A show where two geeky ladies podcast their way through pop culture. From movies and TV to our regular book club and everything in between, we bring you our favorite fandoms with a feminine eye. We're talking Star Wars, Star Trek, Harry Potter, DC Marvel, comic books, and anime. And don't forget sci-fi, fantasy, action movies, video games, D&D, board games, and so much more. Be sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbeam, or wherever you find awesome podcasts. You can also find us hanging out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and at nerdybitches.com. Talk to you soon.